Saul tries to conceal or cover up his sin, and again, that's hypocrisy. And sometimes we become those hypocrites when we act like everything's okay. Oh, I don't need prayer. I don't need to come. And it's like, man, we got the perfect church then. Uh, there's no prayer requests. It must be everybody's doing fine financially. Everything is like, man, awesome. Praise God. But we need to be careful because don't try to strengthen your position in the world and in the eyes of your friends by covering up your sin in your life as if everything's perfect. often we put on a Christian face and talk the Christianese when we walk into church acting like everything is perfect when in fact we truly need prayer and help. Today, Pastor Mark will be exhorting us to not play the hypocrite and to be honest to ourselves and others about our spiritual walk. Saul tried to cover up his sin and refused to seek wise counsel and unfortunately there can be a little bit of Saul in all of us at times. We don't like to go to others for prayer because that would mean that we appear vulnerable, as if everything isn't always okay. All of us have sin and shortcomings, and we all need help at times. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22 with today's edition of Come Alive. We're told that God doesn't walk with us in sin. He might step back and say, hey, turn away, turn away. I'm throwing all kinds of people in your way to say, turn from that, get away, close your eyes, avoid it. And then it says it brings forth death. And then it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. So the enemy knows what's tempting you and what you're tempted with. And so that's how it started with Saul. Remember the song about Saul? David has, or Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. See, Saul wanted that popularity. Uh, the enemy played on his pride. Well, I'm the king. I should have bigger numbers than David. I should have the top number one song in all Israel. But yet David is the one who's got it, and they're singing about him. So Saul persisted in his rebellion, and he saw the innocent son of Jesse as a personal enemy. Who David didn't do anything but try to help him out. He was his worship leader inside the castle. So all his resistance to God's purposes induced personal envy. And this led to, well, this open violence. And when we have that personal envy, just think about it. When you're upset and angry, you might be thinking or trying to come up with a plan to cause somebody some, some heartache, some hurt, some revenge. And so notice what happens when we seek to remove God's purposes and substitute them with our own. Saul's dangers begin to multiply just as he sought their removal. All of a sudden, his dangers start to multiply. He needed to just bow before God and repent and place himself at God's mercy. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22 if you're not there already. Saul tries to conceal or cover up his sin. And when that happens, that's called hypocrisy. You know, it's the same with you and I. When we try to conceal our sins, we become hypocrites. When we show up at church and we act like everything's perfect and okay. And it's not to say that you need to stand in a corner with a sign and go in life stinks and come see me. But, you know, when somebody sits you down and wants to talk, so how's it going? Oh, everything's great when it's not. 
I've met with some people before, and it was real hard because you're sitting there and you're trying, and they tell you something, and they only tell you certain things, and all of a sudden it's like, man, yeah, I know, you know, it's like the Lord's telling me that's not all. So you start to inquire, no, everything else, and so you give them some help, and then you find out, well, they need more help, and you could have given more help at that time, but they weren't completely honest with you. They tried to cover up some of that stuff. So Saul tries to conceal or cover up his sin, and again, that's hypocrisy. And sometimes we become those hypocrites when we act like everything's okay. Oh, I don't need prayer. I don't need to come. And it's like, man, we got the perfect church then. Uh, there's no prayer requests. It must be everybody's doing fine financially. Everything is like, man, awesome. Praise God. But we need to be careful because don't try to strengthen your position in the world and in the eyes of your friends by covering up your sin in your life as if everything's perfect. Because you're not going to do anything but cause yourself some more destruction. You're not going to the right place for help. And not that everybody needs to know your dirty laundry and all the details, but go to God first. Go to somebody that will stand next to you and pray, somebody you trust that's not going to air out your dirty laundry. And so here, you know, we, we want to pray for you. And see, the only thing that happens when you do this, when you try to cover it up, is you only heap wrath for the day, for that day of wrath. You, only, you, only, you just pile it up. You continue to pile it up by the hypocrisy instead of just repenting. See, you're dying on the inside all by yourself, all alone. And that's not where God calls us as Christians. He calls us as a fellowship. He says, do not forsake the fellowship and the gathering. And that's why it's important for us to gather together. It's because we are responsible for one another in prayer. If you're praying for the person next to you, they're praying for you once you get next to them. And it just we, we've talked about this before. It goes around in a circle. It becomes less about ourselves and more about the next person and, and more about honoring God. So you're dying on the inside all by yourself, but you're also killing people on the outside. And we'll see this next. Look at verse 17. It says, Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because of their hand also is with David. And because they knew when the, they fled and did not tell it to me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And then the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Verse 19, also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep, with the edge of the sword. So you see what happens here? Because Saul's relationship with the Lord suffered because he didn't go and he didn't repent and everybody was against him and it all became about him and he's jealous, he's paranoid and all of a sudden he thinks that these priests had something to do with David, that they were all in cahoots and it was a big plan to get him. You know, whose plan was that to get him off the throne? It, it was God's. And why was it God's plan to remove him from that? Well, because Saul stepped away from the Lord. He became disconnected. And you and I have the same, it goes back to the same issues sometimes. I mean, if we disconnect ourselves from God and we step away from the faith, then yeah, it's, you're going to be paranoid. Oh, all those Christians, you know, I tried that Christian thing before. It wasn't good. All they do is they just talk about each other. It's a bunch of gossip. And that may be true. Sometimes that happens. And, and if that's happened to you, I want to apologize for that. I'm not saying it's happened here, but I'm just saying if, if you've been burned by someone like that. But you know what? It's not God's fault. God didn't gossip about you. God's standing there going, look, I'm, I'm just asking you to come repent. Hang out with me. I want to help you with your problems. I want to put you in a place where others can help you with your problems. But if you don't come to me, I, I can't do anything. I, I, I want to know. 
So the death of a community happened. Instead of going to God, they sought to protect themselves against an enemy that really didn't exist. And so Saul just says, hey, you know what, there's, there's people after me, but nobody was really after him. If you look and you read, it's him after someone, not them after him. And so David was never Saul's enemy. Fear got the best of Saul. And that's what happens when we replace faith with fear then guess what happens? The enemy gets the best of us. He wanted to be popular. His pride got in and produced a fear and then made him envy. And then if you think what the outcome would have been if Saul would have just went to God, if Saul would have just stopped and went to God, and we saw see, and saw what happened when he did have that relationship with the Lord. But not a lot of people want to go to God. And what ends up happening, like Saul, it trashes a lot of good people, and that's the problem. A lot of good people are, are trashed in, 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 that, in the life and in that process. And so do you understand why? And, and this is one of those things where it's like we have to understand, and I want you guys to understand why evangelism is so important, why I have a heart for the city, and why I have a heart for evangelism. Because I know the more people who come into a relationship with God and get to have that relationship through God, through his son Jesus Christ, are not going to find themselves finishing this, this, these final verses in death. They're not going to die. They, they go to eternity and live forever. And so one of the things here is like, you know, when we, when we start to just disappear and walk away from God, which you see a lot of Christians doing, and it becomes this, well, you know, it's not so important, but, you know, I believe that God is sovereign and he's in control, and he is, but we have a choice in the matter as well. And you hear a lot of people saying, well, we really don't have to do this. I really don't have to share my faith. Well, show me where it says you don't have to. Show me where it says you don't have to. We have to. How's the word get out? And Jesus talks about it all the time. That Hey, you know what? Go out. And I'm sending you out two by two to go into the towns to do these certain things to help people. And so we know by preaching the gospel that many are saved because it's, it brings a, a life-giving water uh, that well, they'll never thirst again. They'll be satisfied in the things that they do. And I remember from my own experience, and I can only tell you that from my experience and from the stories I've heard from other people, that when I got saved, it became, hey, it's no longer about me trying to climb some corporate ladder or trying to fit something into my life that makes me happy and satisfies me. It became, I'm satisfied. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. And no matter what I do, I'm satisfied. I know he's going to take care of me. And so when people come into that relationship with God through his son Jesus, they're not going to find themselves finishing this final line in death. They're going to find life. Look at verse 20. It says, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. See, David's telling this guy who escaped, he's going to keep him safe. I'm going to keep you safe. But if I was this guy, I'd be like, hey, Dave, guess what? He's not after me. He's after you. Why do I want to hang out with you? And here's why he says this. Why is David able to say this? Well, Dave has this foundation of safe, and that's called God, that allows him to believe that God's best is going to be what he experiences and looks forward to in the future. And so David says, man, you know, because I know who God is and I know what God's going to do and I'm in a right relationship with God, where I'm at, in my place, it's going to be awesome. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be amazing and we'll be safe. And so how do I know this? Well, turn to Psalm 52 with me. Turn there to Psalm 52. And right under Psalm 52, it says, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doeg the Edomite went out and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. It says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue divides destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words. You deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here's the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. When you read that, that lets you see the character and the kind of guy that David really truly is. What he trusts in and what he believes in. He's saying, God, I don't know what to do. This guy killed 85 priests. And David's saying, you know what's best, so I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to leave it in your hands. Because if you think about how awesome of a warrior David is, he could have gone after and put it together and got these guys. But not until God tells him to do so, he's not going to move. So he's just saying, you know, I'm just going to leave it here. I'm going to be freer because I just poured my heart out to you, God. I'm going to give it all to you, my thoughts, my anguish, my hurt. My pain, because David's like, man, if it wasn't for me, these guys wouldn't have died. If I didn't go to that place, and you got to think, what took David to that place? Well, he was running from God when he was separated from, when he had broken that relationship off himself with God. He didn't want to hear from God. He went for soothing and satisfaction. He went to just try to soothe instead of getting there, and he thought, oh, well, you know, if I go to this church, if I go to this place, I'm going to find satisfaction. I'm going to be satisfied, but he didn't. He just found soothing because it quickly ended real quick. And so David's not going to fight this battle in his flesh. He's going to do it in the spirit. And a lot of times I think we try to fight battles in our flesh. We try to fight things in our own flesh. We try to do things on our own. We work really hard at fixing it instead of saying, hey, you know, Lord, I'm just going to hand it to you. I'm going to give it over to you. The most powerful weapon we employ when we fight these battles is prayer. This morning I asked our leadership, I said, hey, how much time do you spend praying for your church? And now I'm going to ask you, how much time do you spend praying for your leadership? How much time do you spend praying for your church? Compare that to how much time you spend praying for yourself. And then ask, you know, and it's the same thing I ask our leadership. Do we prepare for prayer? Do you prepare? Do you know how to pray other than, Lord, please bless me in my day, bless me in my work, bless me. Is it all about you? When you pray, is it all about you? Because if we can't pray and say, Lord, how can I exalt you? and make it all about God, then we've missed the mark. And we're not doing it right. It cannot be all about you because once you got saved, it became all about, and we've looked at this before, you look at the commandments and you look at the Lord's prayer, and nowhere in there is a little space for Mark. It's all about God and others at that point. God and others. And you're like, well, there's got to be a place for me. There is. There is that place for you. It's in Jesus' arms. 
He's already got you. If you're saved, you're saved. Your place is there. Now it's time for you to go out there and say, hey, here it is. I want to pray about what God wants and what others are going through and intercede for them. And yeah, there's that place for your family and for you. Lord, and help me exalt and glorify you more. That's where we fit in. See, we need a little faith to go to God in prayer and wait on him. And you're going to see some amazing things when that happens. Some amazing things. But when you try to just do it on your own and be like, oh, well, it's a simple decision. Man, that may not be a simple decision. That simple decision could turn into a big mess. Just like my son, a simple tie in the shoes can turn into a gigantic knot that takes an hour to get out. And it's like if you just hey, you know what? He was left on his own. He thought he could do it. It's like, no, 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 you forgot to cross here and turn there. You just twisted and turned and twisted and turned. It's not going to work. We get all knotted up, all tangled up. So just a little bit of faith to go to God in prayer and wait on him, and you're going to see some amazing things. Too many people try these things, other things. They go, well, you know, I tried this and I tried that, and I guess the only thing left to do is, well, I'll pray. Why is God last? He should be first. First go to God. See, when God's last, that's not faith. That just means you've run out of other options. That means everybody else told you no to that loan. And the whole time God's sitting there going, hey, I could have worked it out for you. I've been sitting here waiting. So go tell God all your problems and then be open with what he tells you and obey and watch how awesome your life will get. It, I'm not saying it's going to get easy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying it's going to get more comfortable. You, you'll get to watch God do some amazing things in the lives of other people. And you might be like, oh, man, I wish that would happen to me. And like, hey, that's okay. Because other people might be watching you going, man, I wish I had that life. That person's a prayer warrior, and every time they open their mouth to pray, God tends to answer their, their prayers. And that's an amazing thing to watch when you know somebody that's a real prayer warrior, somebody that spends a, a real amount of time praying. And it's not a certain amount of time, but it's a time praying. So that's what I ask you. Are you praying for the leadership of your church? Are you praying for the people next to you? Are you praying for the people at work to come to know Jesus? Are you praying for your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? You know your neighbors. And then are you going out and ministering to them? Start there and watch what happens. Watch what, how your life will become a little bit different, how things will start to really... You'll be so blessed when you minister to the people around you. Instead of being huddled in, I was telling the leadership this morning, I read an article, two, two articles. It was, the same, it was about the same thing. About how in our country we've gone from front porches to back decks where we used to have a lot of front porches on our houses. If you look at the older houses, because people would sit out front in the cool of the evening, that's where people would walk by. It was about hanging out and talking, saying hello to a neighbor. Now we got these amazing back decks. Guess what's in the backyard? A fence. Anybody walk by in your backyard lately? If they have, they probably stole something. But, I mean, you think about it, we got these amazing back decks. Why? It's just because we're secluded. We want to be by ourselves. Or we got these huge, cool, comfortable chairs where just one person can sit in our televisions and it's like not a lot of conversation takes place when you're watching tv watching your favorite show and so it's showing this trend that how we have gone from being about community and hanging out and talking to people to secluding ourselves and they really see this starting to happen in the church Uh, you don't see a lot of church picnics happening anymore you don't see a lot of church fellowship it's like 
you know, what we say here. You're either a pillar in the church. You're one of two kinds of pillars. You're a pillar that holds it up and you're here and you're serving or you're a caterpillar. You just crawl in and out. You slither in and out of the building. Get away before anyone can get to you. But it is, it's important to fellowship because that's what we're told to do. How else am I going to know what's taking place in your life? How else can I help through prayer? Because I may not be able to help in any other way but to pray for you. Or maybe God has given me something in my quiet time and it's like, hey, I don't know why I read that this morning, but all of a sudden you tell me something and be like, hey, wow, that reminds me. I read this this morning and, oh, man, the Lord just spoke through you. And not just me, but you. So why are we secluding ourselves? Why do we hide? And another thing I read with that was a 74-year-old guy. Never had a relationship with a lot of people. I mean, he's a car collector, and it talks about how he just wishes he'd give up all his millions just to be married at 74. He realizes at this point in time he's wasted a lot of time on cars and making money, but he's never had a real relationship with another human being other than just business. And he doesn't have any close friends, and he wants a wife, and he says he's willing to give it all up. So anybody looking for a 74-year-old husband who's a millionaire or maybe be stone-cold broke if he gives it all away, but there's your chance, girls. And, you know, I mean, you think about it. It's like this poor guy. I read that. And I was like, man, how horrible would that be to be that dude, to have millions of dollars and, and not be satisfied, to have all the cool, and especially for a guy who likes cars, to have every car you could, I mean, he could buy any car he wants. And to be like, man, I'd give it all away if I could just have a wife and have a relationship with somebody. And his most important relationship would be with Jesus first. And I guarantee he'd probably get a wife real quick. But without that, he's just got stuff. And he's realized, and what he said to some of these people was, I realize when I'm going to die, no one's probably going to care about my stuff. It's all going to go away. I did all this for nothing. All 74 years or however many years, he's done car collecting. And he said since he was young. So it's a sad place to be. Did it all on his own. His own hands made his fortune Yet his fortune doesn't bring him happiness. Well, what brings happiness? Your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is going to bring you to people that you never know or hang out with or meet. Some of you I'd never even want to know if I wasn't a Christian. And so because I'm a Christian, I get to have a, I get a bunch of friends. We get to eat birthday cake today because it's Sarah's birthday also. And so we get, to, we get to do all that stuff. We get to have all that fun together. We get to have fellowship. We get to pray for each other. We get to cry with one another. We get to be sad for others. We get to be happy when our kids do good things or when we succeed in certain things. Are we those kind of people? And it's all because of one man named Jesus dying on a cross because we have that relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship with him, I just want to say this, that it's easy to get. It's nothing special. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. Later, it might cost you something. Your whole life denying yourself. Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel, and we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. 
Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit ComeAliveRadio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.